What is up, everyone, and welcome back to It's Called Soccer. I'm your co-host, Jake Landau, here in London. We have a lot of transfers and U.S. women's national team to talk about today. Before we get into it, we got to check in with our other co-hosts, the master of science, Tom Gaudin, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. How you doing, Tom? Doing okay, Jake. Um, just enjoying my summer off from work and, yeah, having a great time living my best life here in Chattanooga. Nice. Everyone's got to live their best life. And coming at us from Kaiserslautern, Germany is Ryan Cummings. Ryan, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. Uh, finally getting some travel in. Got robbed the first couple of years here due to COVID. So this has really felt like the first summer that we could get out and go. So it's been fun. Spent a week down in Interlaken, been down to the south of France, been over to Belgium. So definitely been trying to make up for some lost time. And the one thing I will say is if anybody ever gets a chance, Interlaken, uh, Switzerland is just magic. You got to find your way to get there. All right, we're we might turn this into a travel channel after uh, <laughs> there's no more transfers to talk about. But there are transfers to talk about today, and that is going to be Tyler Adams is joining up with Jesse Marsh and Brendan Aronson at Leeds United in the Premier League. Luca De La Torre has made a move from Heracles to Celta de Vigo in the Spanish La Liga. Uh, Jordan Pifak has joined up with the armament of Americans in the Bundesliga at Union, Union Berlin. Ethan Horvath is confirmed to go on loan to Luton Town in the English Championship. And we're going to talk about some of the rumors as well. So Zach Steffen potentially going to Middlesbrough is not confirmed yet, but that is the current rumor that is going around. And then Christian Pulisic, uh, his situation is going to be up in the air for a while because Raheem Sterling has just made a $50 million move to Chelsea and they already have plenty of wingers with Timo Werner. Ziyech is still on the roster as well. So what will happen with Christian Pulisic? Should he make a move uh, potentially to Serie A and Juventus? We shall see. We'll talk about that. And then the U.S. Women's National Team has qualified for the 2023 Women's World Cup after a 3-0 defeat versus Haiti and a 5-0 defeat versus Jamaica. That team will take on Mexico tomorrow night, Monday night. Um, they are already qualified. Mexico needs to a big victory to get into the playoff tournament. So we'll talk a little bit about Mexico and uh, just their failures over many different age groups, uh, genders as well. Um, their men's and women's programs haven't been doing the best lately, so we'll maybe get into that. So guys, let's just start. In the Premier League, the biggest name that has moved so far this transfer window, Tyler Adams moving from RB Leipzig, joining back up with Jesse Marsh and Brendan Aronson at Leeds United. Ryan, we'll start with you. What do you think about this move, Tyler Adams going to the Premier League? Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Wimbledon Finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures, and of course, the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. 
I think it's definitely an environment for him to get into that he's he's definitely in the eyes of the manager, kind of one of the, the top players. I think he was a little bit out of favor with Tedesco over at Leipzig. So absolutely great for him to team back up with Marsh, someone that's been instrumental in his career. So I think it's a really familiar environment for him, which is exciting. He's got some stiff competition there, though. Uh, the midfield's still there. They just re-signed Forshaw to a contract extension. They've got Robin Koch, who as well has a handful of uh, appearances for Team Mannschaft. And then also brought in uh, Mark Roca during this transfer window from Bayern Munich. So definitely a handful of players coming in, but they also lost players like Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips was the big departure from that midfield. So there's definitely like minutes to be had there in that system. And then we'll, you know, we've seen a little bit out of Leeds that they'll play either 4-4-2, sometimes 5-3-2. And I think that sets up for Adam playing centrally, which is is what we all want to see. Sometimes with Leipzig, he would float out wide to the right, um, but really see him in the center of the park in a very similar position like we see him with the national team. So overall, I think it's the perfect place for him to transition. He's got some fellow people that he knows in the locker room with Aronson uh, and also Jack Harrison, if he stays there, uh, a couple guys that he at least knows from the past. So I think it's, it's an absolute ideal setup. And then also too, it's great because, you know, it seemed like he had plateaued a little bit or kind of found his, his comfort level at Leipzig. So this is the perfect time for, I think Adams is the type of player that always needs that, that carrot to chase after when he has that there in front of him, Dude's going to work. You know that. So, yeah, this is I think this is great. And if as long as he continues to or as long as he gets minutes there, which I'm confident that he will, this is coming into a, a World Cup year that this is, this is fantastic. I mean, he's only 23 years old, but he's been around for almost seven years now, having burst onto the scene. He played with RBNY, two, and then for the senior team. And at 18, Jesse Marsh uh, had an interview recently where he talked about potentially thinking about giving Tyler Adams, uh, 18-year-old Tyler Adams, the armband for Red Bull New York, uh, but it never actually happened. So, Tom, Calvin Phillips is out of the way at Leeds United. Is Tyler Adams going to be seen as Calvin Phillips' successor, or is he meant to be his own player coming into Leeds? I think that you have to see him as his own player. I mean, Calvin Phillips is obviously a a very hard player to replace, and so I think that Leeds seems to have done this by committee. They, like Ryan said, brought in a lot of new talent to that midfield. So, I think there'll definitely be a rotation to sort of see where everyone shakes out. I think Adams will definitely be in the fight for a starting position there at Leeds, but I Leeds definitely seems to be doing a great job of reloading instead of just trying to plug in pieces to replace the big pieces that they lost. And honestly, they've done a great job of it. We could see them finish top 10 in the Prem this year, which is an ideal situation for both Adams and Aronson if that happens. Yeah, I mean, Rafinha looks to be gone to either, if it doesn't work out to Barcelona, he will go to Chelsea, which again, we'll talk about some of the wingers (laughs) that are going to Chelsea. Uh, But then they've just signed Sinistera, who is a very highly regarded winger from the Dutch division. So what do you guys expect from Leeds this season in terms of where they'll finish? It, It kind of surprised a lot of people, I think, that they were fighting for relegation when Jesse Marsh came in. But based on how much they've reloaded this season, are Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson and Jesse Marsh to some extent set up for success now? I think so. I think that this team is definitely, they brought in the right pieces and they've retained enough of the old pieces. I think that Marsh is really set up 
to have a really strong season this year with leads, which is exactly what you want when talking with people on like the FIFA America discord and especially Manny, he's been really nervous about moves to leads because of their relegation status and feeling that they were a contender to be relegated. But I don't feel with the transfers that they've made so far that that's the case anymore. I think that they're definitely going to be expected to finish, if not top 15, top 12, top 10 in the program this year. Yeah, Ryan, are, are you, I know you're going to be watching some of the Leeds games. Do you think they're going to be top half of the table? So, I mean, it's, I think earlier is it's not a total revamp, but with Rafinha and Phillips leaving, those are two really big pair of shoes to fill. I mean, that's, that's going to be tough. Uh, and so I think they have the right approach to it by uh, not necessarily like a, a money ball approach, but of not trying to get like for like replacements, you know, it, just because you have a guy that is a star player doesn't mean you have to go out and splash big. Uh, I think the expectation is absolutely going to be there because there is enough carryover from the team the year before that this is going to be a team that is going to have to fight week in and week out. And that's why hopefully guys like Aronson, Adams, and Marsh, you know, hopefully can can be leaders in this squad from a locker room standpoint. You know, these are guys that are used to being underdogs, are used to having guys think less of them and not, and not think that they're up to the task. So I think you bring a little bit, you know, of that classic thing that Americans are kind of known for, for playing abroad is they always want, like they should always want it more. They always want it more than the next person. So if they bring that mentality week in and week out, I expect to see some pretty positive things from Leeds. We're going to turn into a proper soccer men talking about who wants it more and who has the hunger. Um, but the, the next player that we're going to talk about, Luca De La Torre, I'm sure that we'll touch on how the, uh, the league that he's moving to impacts his success or not, because Luca De La Torre is a very technical player. The Spanish league is looked at as a very technical league. But just sticking on Tyler Adams for a second, he's a little bit smaller of a player. He's 5'8", 5'9", uh, about 145 pounds. The Premier League is always looked at as a very physical or at least physically demanding league. Is that going to be an issue for Tyler Adams, Tom? I don't think so. I think that Tyler Adams, I think that's his big strength when you watch him play international soccer is his physicality, his ability to sort of be in the right position and make the tackles he needs to make and sort of dominate that midfield. I think this will be a step up in terms of any physicality he's ever seen in a match before. And I think that'll definitely lead to an adjustment period. But Tyler Adams to me is a player who responds to the physicality of the game and steps up his level to be where he needs to. I, I don't see that being a problem for him. I think the biggest challenge in my opinion for him is how is he going to respond to the pace of play and how fast he's going to need to move the ball around in order to be successful. That's where I worry that he might not be up to speed. I have no worries about his physicality at all. Yeah. And Ryan, having been in Germany, watching the Bundesliga up close, do you think that is going to be an issue for Tyler Adams at all? So physicality wise, no, I, I think that it's, it's something that's a, a smart PR move a little bit by a lot of the Premier League pundits, but the Bundesliga is definitely a very physical league as well. I mean, they don't call it a farmer's league because it's, you know, soft. This is a lot of guys that, that are going to go out there and fight weekend. I, I agree totally with what Tom said. It, the physicality part doesn't worry me at all. Um, I, I'd like to, you know, everybody find a piece of wood, knock on it, do what you need to. But for me, it's just going to be Adam staying healthy, you know, as long as he's able to stay fit. And that's been a little bit of a problem for him in the past. But 
if he's fit, he'll be up to the physicality. It's going to be a little bit of the pace of play, but you know how Tom was saying that the physicality is one of his strengths. Also, to Tyler Adams' strengths is how he reads the game. I think he's you know very cerebral in the back. He's very comfortable, you know, sorting out the defense and sorting out where his players need to be. And so I I want to see him maintain that type of attitude while he's out there on the field of commanding people around. And then as long as he does that, I, I think he'll fit in just fine in the Premier League. Yeah. What does it mean? Ryan, we'll stick with you. What does it mean to have two Americans playing on the same pitch at such a high level going into a World Cup year? Well, I mean, it's a lot of pressure. I think it's something that we haven't seen before. This is going to be a first for us. So it's exciting. It's you got to be a little nervous, uh, you know, but also excited at the same time. Also, too, it means that there's a scapegoat if things don't go well. And I'm, you know, I'm concerned about that. So hopefully, you know, It'll be nice to see that if leads succeed, the same way people are going to point to if they do poorly, that it's, you know, because it's an American coach and he brought in American players. Uh, I want to hear those same people saying that, you know, when leads do well, it's because the American coach brought in American players. Yeah, spoiler alert, you're probably not going to hear that as the reason (laughs) leads do well this season. (laughs) Shock, I tell you, shock. Yes, yes. But one player that has shocked us with his rise uh, over the last year is Luca De La Torre, uh, playing for Heracles, who were relegated in the Dutch Eredivisie, has now made a $2 million move to La Liga, Celta de Vigo. Um, Again, this seems to be a transfer that really suits the player in the way that he plays, his style, his technical ability. Tom, were you happy to see him land in a league that kind of suits that style, or were you more looking for Luca De La Torre to challenge himself in a way that makes him uncomfortable. In a World Cup year, I want him playing to his strengths, especially given the level of competition he was playing against last year. Not to knock what the Heracles is in Netherlands, not not to knock the Dutch league, but La Liga is definitely going to be a step up in terms of talent, in terms of being able to do the things that Luca De La Torre does well and translate that to a much more intense league so and it's a league i think of minutes in too i have more interested in seeing him be successful getting minutes working on the things that we know that luca Tellatori does well instead of having to challenge himself and learn how to play the game in a new way while also trying to make sure he's ready for cotter so to me this is the perfect move this is the best league for luca delatory he knows the language he absolutely does the things well that you need to do well in a league like La Liga where such technical passing, where your dribbling is such such an effective part of your game. I, I just, I think this is the perfect move for him going to a mid table team in La Liga. It, it, it's set up perfectly for his success leading into the world cup. And Ryan, he is joining a league that also has another American number eight, Yunus Musa playing at a mid table team at Valencia. So is this kind of a, a way for us to judge and evaluate how ready they are going into the World Cup? Or is it just really the fact that we need Luca De La Torre getting minutes in a league that he's going to grow in? I think it's a good point. Uh, you know, I, I I think it'll be a little bit of a litmus test. You know, we've seen Musa succeed in that league. Um, they are a little bit of different, different players. Uh, so I think it'll be important to see how the coach uh, deploys them to see how Luca can be successful. Uh, 
I'd like to say, first of all, too, as a fellow San Diego Surf alumni, I could not be more proud to see someone from Surf go on to a big league like this. Uh, it's, it's a huge move for a guy from, from the 619, so happy for him. Uh, you know, in the scuffed interview, he talked about wanting to be on the ball all the time, wanting to get as many touches as possible. And, you know, at a club like Celta Vigo is – is he's going to have an opportunity to get minutes. Uh, it's absolutely the perfect transition from the Dutch league to Spain. Tommy pointed out, he already speaks the language, his dad's from Spain. So it's, you know, it's something that he's going to be comfortable with. Uh, he gets to pl join players like Dennis Suarez, who's class pedigree. I mean, it's a guy that played with Barcelona from 16. They have brought in a few other players though, like Oscar Rodriguez from Sevilla. He's there on loan. Another good guy. Um, they brought in a, a young kid from Sweden, uh, or a Swedish international, at least, um, some guy named Pineda. I don't know any, I don't know if any guys know about <laughs> him, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that'll be too stiff competition for Mexican him, seventh clear, string, I think. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. I don't know. Um, it's, it's not something that I'm going to worry too much about on, on that level, but clearly they were on a mission to strengthen their midfield. Brought in a lot of guys and to get Luca for 2 million, uh, just just shows that, you know, to have those clauses in your contract is so important that if your club does get relegated, that you can still put yourself in a position to be successful. So, yeah, I mean, besides uh, field, there's a lot of spots that are open. Uh, and I think that, you know, dilatory with his mentality of wanting to impact the game, wanting to get on the ball and having the ability to do so is is definitely a position that he will find himself in a position of comfort there. He's just got to, you know, settle in. Speed of play, I think, is going to obviously be a little bit quicker for him. So as long as he settles into that, it's it, he's definitely set up for success. Yeah, we saw a lot last year. Celta Tobigo was playing with a 4-4-2 diamond with wide left midfielder and right midfielder. So they have a very distinct number six and number 10 role within the way that they were playing, at least last year. Luca De La Torre is a weird midfielder where he can play as a deep-lying six or he can play as an attacking 10. Where do you guys prefer to see Luca De La Torre in a setup like that? I think I prefer him wide left. I think that, you know, he can go centrally at that six, but, you know, even in a diamond, you're not relying usually on your attacking, your central midfielders to create all of your width. You have your fullbacks pushing forward a little bit. So seeing him more centrally, if, if pushed a little bit left, I think is a better role for him where he has the freedom to be a box-to-box -box midfielder. He's not having too many of the defensive responsibilities. He can really do the do the unlocking the defense with his dribbling, with his passing that we like to see him succeed in. That's sort of my preferred role for him. So sort of seeing that position, if a little bit wider than we're used to, is where I would like to see him play this first, at least this first half of the season. Yeah, and he did start at Fulham's Academy as a winger, which is where he gets his shiftiness and his agility. Ryan, where do you prefer to see Luca De La Torre at his club, club squad? I think you touched on it well, Jake, is his positional flexibility that he he can play a little bit of everywhere. And uh, Brias Mendez was a staple for Celta Vigo last season on the right wing. So that position is absolutely up for grab. What's rather than a specific position, uh, I think he works well getting into pockets of space, being able to transition the ball, even though Greg may have said that that was an area he needed improvement in at a point in time. Uh, clearly the clap back from Luca was, was a smart play on, you know, posting some videos. And so honestly, as long as he's on the field getting minutes, uh, I think it's, it's something that will definitely get him ready for cutter. 
Uh, but like, and like I said, the right wing is definitely someone that they had, like I said, they had Mendez in there last season. So that's the position that's up for grabs. And if he can go in there and settle in there, then as long as he's on the pitch getting minutes, that's, that's what I'm most happy to see. And I think he can excel out there. Yeah, we know Luca De La Torre, if he continues to perform, is most likely a lock for the U.S. team going into Qatar in, in this winter. A player that is still up in the air and even a position that is still up in the air is the number nine for the U.S. Now, Jordan Pifak was the first American ever to lead a European league in scoring last season and got a move to Union Berlin. Uh, Ricardo Pepe struggled with Augsburg coming in mid-season uh, last year. We saw Josh Sargent struggle in the Premier League after moving from Werder Bremen. So there are a lot of players that kind of have a new start. Daryl DK at West Bromwich Albion as well. Uh, everyone kind of has a clean slate going into these next few months and trying to vie for that spot in the World Cup roster. Jordan Pifak going to Union Berlin is a really interesting one because it gives him a great league with a lot of visibility. Guys, what do you think of Jordan Pifak? Ryan, we'll start with you as our, our resident German uh, Jordan Pifak moving to Union Berlin. What do you think of this move? So it's, I think it's going to be a, a little bit of an uphill battle for him. Union Berlin does play a, a little bit of a pressing system. And as we've seen in the past, that's not exactly Pifak's strength. So seeing him in an environment in which he's uncomfortable and having to grow, I, people are going to choose the one clip that shows him missing the ball or missing a goal that's right, you know, right in front of the goal. But, you know, I'm not going to focus too much on that. We've seen from his experience in the Swiss League, dude can score. Dude is a bit of a fox in the box, also big body, can hold the ball up well. So this is going to be an area of his game that if they're going to be pressing and, and playing kind of a high energetic kind of soccer, then PFOX is going to have to evolve. And so I'm happy to see that Union Berlin playing in the Europa League, he, there's going to be plenty of chances for him to – get an opportunity to get on the pitch. Uh, it's a team that will create opportunities for themselves on turnovers and make the game a little bit hectic or erratic. Uh, so I think it's going to be a very interesting opportunity for him. Uh, I think, you know, it'll be, it'll be a system in which he either is going to excel and level up, or we may have seen our last days of PFOC with the national team. I'm optimistic though, that, you know, he can come in and, and make a difference for Union Berlin and, you know, continue to that rise up into the next league and do big things. Tom, is this a good move? I think so. It's it's a definitely a level up in terms of doing the things that PFOC does well, but also doing them in the Bundesliga, as well as being challenged, like Ryan said, in a pressing system. Their leading scorer last year had 15 goals, which is a really huge role to fill. They really didn't have anyone else who were scoring goals beside that. So they're bringing in PFOC to be the number nine, to be the guy who's going to score the goals. And the question is, can he do that at a level that's higher than the Swiss League? We saw him do it in the second division of France. We saw him do it in Switzerland. He's never really done it in a first division league before, though. And so that's my big question going into this is, what is his level? Is his level a Bundesliga number nine? Or are we going to see him falling a little bit lower on where he can be successful and be a golden boot contender in whatever league he's playing in? Out of all of these number nines that are kind of getting their their clean slate this season, who is the one that you think is best set up for success? Ooh, good question. Well, it's a, 
I mean, it's, I don't want to pick one and say this is the one person that's set up for success. I, I think it's a good idea to look at all of the situations. When you see someone like PFOC, play the hypothetical out. Let's say, you know, in like early or late August, September, October, this dude even has three, four, five goals in the Bundesliga. Our number nine, in many people's opinion, is still not settled. And that's that's a position that he could easily fill in and all of a sudden go from is he on the roster to is he our starter, which is a huge swing. And then you've got, you know, Ricardo Pepe. Everyone wants to say it was the wrong move and not not a good idea. I disagree wholeheartedly with that. Uh, you know, it's tough to transfer to a team during the January window and make a massive impact, especially as an 18 turning 19 year old. I've discussed this many times. It's such a difficult thing to do. He's had a full off season with Augsburg. So I'm really excited to see him settle into their system. Uh, they also got rid of a center forward. So big pressure. Ricardo Pepe is definitely going to have a chance to show out this year. And then also I, I still am not giving up. We saw Josh Sargent start up top in a friendly for Norwich the other day. He's also another guy that can step up. We also saw Jesus Ferreira score in 90-plus minutes yesterday against Houston Dynamo. So exciting times in the number nine pool, but hopefully a little clarity shakes out of it. I think you got to give the edge right now to PFOC, Pepe, and Sargent. I, all three of them are in great spots right now. Sargent possibly better than any of them because he's going to be playing for a top side in the championship that should be expected to be, if not – winners of the championship a promotion candidate for sure um he could be in a position to score 10 goals before the world cup comes if he's in that kind of form you have to question whether you can leave him off the roster or not especially when there's a player like daryl dk who's in the same league who might not be scoring at the same rate as we see with josh Sargent. so that's another player that i could see really lighting up the two Bundesliga strikers both going to be the focus of their offense is a really important thing for them. And then the MLS crew, Brandon Vasquez has been on fire lately. We've seen um, Jesus Ferreira continue to just destroy MLS with FC Dallas. There's so many candidates. They're all in great positions. I don't know how we're going to sort them all out when it comes time to make this roster. And it'll be really interesting to see who's on the September roster. Because I think they'll yeah. be in pole position. They'll be the ones, if they can just bang a couple of goals in in October, November, they'll be on the plane. I'm still holding out hope for Daryl DK at West Brom this season. Uh, Ryan, before I brought us on a tangent, you were going to say something about Jordan Pifa. Oh, I was just going to say that I think it's it's interesting to play the hypothetical out of if, you know, this is a guy that since, I forget which game it was that he did, missed the center but everyone blew up about it and people mexico. wanted to mexico yeah right right thank you <laughs> people wanted to banish him and as it just it it boils my blood a little bit when we see when we see overreaction to one specific event uh so in your guys's mind if this is a player that right now is is not on the plane to, to cut her what does it take does it take Three goals, two assists, four goals, one assist, someone just playing well week in and week out with maybe not lucky enough to get on the scoreboard early. Because Union Berlin, they they did finish in fifth place last year. So they're going to be a team that should expect some goals. I think we were talking a little bit before this. Tom, our statistical expert, did state that they outpaced their XG. So always a hot topic for everybody. Uh, but is this a guy that if he is even just scoring maybe three, four goals, 
is he on the plane? Is he not on the plane? Is he on the plane and starting the first game against Wales? Where where do you guys see that out? So for me, we I think for me, Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Freire are locks at this point. I, I maybe Ricardo Pepe's not, but I have a hard time seeing that just from what I've seen from Burhalter and from Pepe in the last year or so. I think we're taking three strikers with 26-man roster. The question is, who's playing well for that third spot, and how do you sort these guys out? Uh, is Haji Wright not lighting it up for whatever team he ends up going to, whether that's Hall City or that's somewhere else? Is Josh Sargent scored five or six goals in his last 10 for Norwich? Is Brandon Vasquez doing crazy things in the MLS playoffs? Has he got FC Cincinnati fighting for an MLS Cup, which would be nuts? Is P. Fox scoring five goals, got two in the Europa League? Those, these are all sort of factors that are going to determine where we go with that. And I just don't know that you can sort of play out the hypothetical for one without playing out the hypothetical for all of the striker candidates and saying, okay, this guy performing is enough to give him the nod, given that there's four or five guys who could also be on fire at that time. Yeah, I kind of look at it as a committee at this point that, <laughs> yes, our number nine is is not answered just yet. But the fact that we have maybe 10 or a handful dozen, let's say, strikers that could potentially make this roster still if we're going as far out as Brandon Vasquez at Cincinnati, who did have another goal, uh, you rightly point out. If if by committee we can find three players that are in scoring form, I think Jordan Peefock does himself favors by going to a good high-profile league that a lot of Americans can watch, that if he does do well or even does okay, if he has you know five goal contributions total, by the time September comes around, that can do a lot for him just in like the public campaigning for him to be on this <laughs> roster or at least have a chance. So I think for me in totality, we have enough players at enough good teams to, to be in a good position come the World Cup. I think specifically for Jordan Pifak, he is doing himself a lot of favors by going to a good team in a good league that has a lot of visibility to the American audience. All right, so following up then on Josh Sargent and Daryl DK in the English Championship, we also have a confirmed loan now. Ethan Horvath is moving from Nottingham Forest to for the year to Luton Town. Now, very interesting because Bryce Samba, the other keeper at Nottingham Forest, has also been transferred out. So it seems like Ethan Horvath was not ready to be the guy or not trusted to be the guy at Nottingham Forest, but he will get time in the English Championship this season with Luton Town. He might be our only goalkeeper as well in the pool, getting high-level minutes next season. It looks like if Zach Steffen can't secure his loan and Matt Turner is going to be the number two at Arsenal. So, Tom, what do you think about this move for Ethan Horvath? I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, going to a fairly strong championship side, not a team that's expected to dominate the league, but one that still is going to be a really good team is... It's an interesting move. I, I almost would rather see him go to a relegation candidate somewhere, but I, I think this move makes sense to get him minutes, get him starting somewhere in preparation for the World Cup. I think Ethan Horvath, more than Zach Steffen or Matt Turner, feels the pressure of needing minutes to get on the plane, given how he performed in this last window, given how Sean Johnson performed in this last window, given although Sean Johnson hasn't followed it up with great performances lately, Ethan Horvath needs minutes more than anyone else to justify his roster selection for the World Cup right now. So getting him minutes in the championship for a strong side is going to be important for him. 
hopefully we see Stefan go out on loan here too, because he's now the number three option, I think, at Manchester City. And I, I'm not comfortable with that, but good for Horvath for getting his loan secured. <laughs> I see Ryan vigorously nodding when we talk about Horvath versus Sean Johnson. <laughs> Ryan, where's that coming from? Well, I would just, you know, a lot of you saw Tom and I were talking a little bit about recency bias and how quickly people, you know, want to go to whatever the hot hand is. And Sean Johnson was the topic of conversation during the last window. But Tom hit the nail on the head. I, I totally agree with him. Is his follow up performances from them have, have not been great. Uh, so I think this is the perfect opportunity with Horbath to be getting minutes week in and week out. I'll probably sound like a broken record if you listen to us fairly often that everyone wants to talk about, oh, we have to have players getting minutes. But for me, most importantly of any position on the field, it's goalkeeper because you have to feel confident to command your box. So when the ball is played through, if you should come out, should you stay on your line? And the only way you get to supreme confidence level is by playing. You have, you can only practice so much. So having a team playing in the championship that is going to be, you know, more experience and more minutes than he's gotten in a long time is massive because we've all seen what he can do in sub appearances. He's been huge. So I think having a guy like him that just needs to get regular I think, you know, it was a little bit of a one-off, the howler he had in the last window. You could see he got caught out. He was cheating a little bit. He was anticipating a cross, shot went near post. Those things happen. It's But also, too, when you're not getting regular minutes, maybe you anticipate things the way they shouldn't be. So super confident with him going to Luton. I think it'll be uh, with this type of move, it can settle him in to be on the plane to Cutter. Yep. And for me, Zach Steffen is the one goalkeeper in our pool where I think he needs time on the pitch because Zach Steffen, that's confident and experienced, is probably our best keeper. Zach Steffen, who is not confident and takes a few extra touches than he needs to, is probably number three or four in our depth chart. So it's great that Ethan Horvath is going to Luton Town. I think he'll get a, an immense amount of experience going into the World Cup year, but for me, it is really, I agree, Ryan, it is really important for goalkeepers to have playing time and be confident. You talk, you asked me about uh, number nines, kind of picking whoever is the most in form. I, I think the best way to think about goalkeepers is actually that conversation, is which goalkeeper of our top three is playing the most, is the most in form, because that is going to be the goalkeeper that stops the most shots, that protects our net as much as possible in the World Cup. So Ethan Horvath, it could be that one. Uh, Zach Steffen looked to be going to Middlesbrough, although that loan move has not been confirmed. And it seems like he's not, uh, you know, on the brink of joining that team. So Ethan Horvath going to Luton Town, he's going to be one of the three uh, between Zach Steffen and Matt Turner currently getting playing time. Do you guys see Zach Steffen moving within this window still? I think that this is the trend we've seen with this window is if you are a U.S. men's national team player or someone on the fringe and you are looking for a way to improve your stock for the World Cup right now, you are trying to get a loan. You're trying to get minutes whatever way you can. We've seen basically anyone who knows they're fighting for a spot on the roster trying to get a move that gets the minutes. And I think Stefan 
sees that and knows what he's got to do to be on that plane, and that's get alone. I think that he's going to be pushing hard, especially with Manchester City, signing a new backup goalkeeper to get himself any minutes he can leading up to Cotter so that he can make sure he's on that plane. And so I, I would be shocked if he doesn't make a loan this window. Brian, where are you at with Zach Steffen? Yeah, I think we'll definitely see him get a loan. I mean, it seems like teams are always clamoring to get, you know, someone from the pedigree of a Manchester City. You see it a lot with teams like Chelsea as well that just have these loan armies that are out there with so many people. So this is something that can get worked out pretty quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm not terribly worried about it because if we can see – Stefan in Dusseldorf form, uh, in Columbus Crew form, hell, University of Maryland form, uh, just not Freiburg <laughs> form. I mean, how I, it depends on pack. But if we can see him, especially when he was at Dusseldorf, man, that was a bottom level club that he was just getting peppered every single week. Uh, but he stood up to the challenge. He he, you know, people. You've seen pundits like maybe Alexi Lawless or something like that talk about for a point in time, they were talking about trying to get Brad Guzan in there because he's a quote unquote, great shot stopper. Um, Just quoting Alexi, not me, but uh, you know, I think that's somebody that didn't see what Stefan was doing at Dusseldorf when he was there. So he is a great shot stopper. He's just like you said, Jake, he's a player that thrives on confidence uh, he's, we've seen the, the couple howlers he's had in like the shaky moments have, I would attribute most of them to being that he's just not getting week in week out minutes. So the fact that he, Tom said, you know, city brought in another keeper, he's definitely going to be advocating get out of there, uh, at least on a loan. So therefore he can get minutes. He's had enough time training in the pep system. That's what everyone talked about. You know, we wanted to see him in a top team training under pep. Uh, with some of the best keep with one of the best keepers in the world so okay that's cool for like a year two years but then we got to get you on the pitch we got to see what that translates to so I definitely think that a club like Manchester City can put it together pretty quick uh, and I really hope he does get out of there because I think it's it was the position that a year ago 18 months ago we felt super confident about and right now going into it like you guys pointed out We've got a lot of people in backup positions. So do we see Horat Horvat go from zero to hero again? Play it back. You've heard me say I want to see it. <laughs> I think Horvath has the most ground to make up with with Greg Berhalter. Yes. I think he's probably the furthest from the plane right now without playing any games. So I think mm-hmm. for him, he needs to not only be playing, but also be playing well with Luton Town for Greg Berhalter to see him start to move up the depth chart. Right, another player, uh, last rumor that we'll talk about that might have trouble seeing the field this season uh, for Chelsea is Christian Pulisic. Now, he was already kind of, this is a great debate in the U.S. soccer circle is if Thomas Tuchel, if the Chelsea system is best for Christian Pulisic, if Pulisic needs to move. And that is all before we knew that they were signing Raheem Sterling from Manchester City. This is all before we knew that they are trying to sign Rafinha from Leeds uh, out from under Barcelona. So those are two of the best wingers in the Premier League right now that are now moving to Chelsea. Is Pulisic in a position where he's going to get bang time this season? Is he? Are we going to see our most important player and captain playing at right wing back for the Premier League team? 
guys, what do you make of this situation for Christian Pulisic? Uh, Tom, does he need to move to Juventus or any of these other rumored teams? I wouldn't be opposed to a loan move to Juventus at least. We know how crowded Chelsea is. We know that Pulisic has struggled to get minutes there, and the system doesn't really suit him as well as it could. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him try his luck somewhere else, especially a club like Juventus where he could team up with Weston McKinney, where he could play in a system I think that is better suited to him, where he would be sort of one of the guys who's tasked with running that offense. That would be a really great experience for him, especially at a Champions League side like Juventus. But I'm also not opposed to him staying at Chelsea and fighting for his position. I I, I do think that we're going to see someone leave Chelsea, whether that's Ziyech, whether that's Werner, whether that's Pulisic. If Werner and Ziyech both decide that they're done and they want out, then sure, let him stay, let him fight for minutes. I think that he could really fit well into that rotation with Sterling and with Rafinha, with Mount, with, I guess, Havertz is in that role too. That's a, still a lot of bodies, but Pulisic is, on his day, one of the best wingers in the Premier League. So I think he can still get the minutes he needs to be ready for the World Cup. Ryan, where do you prefer Pulisic to go or stay? Uh, for me, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him go. Uh, I was I was really disappointed. I thought we were going to see him team up potentially with Klopp at Liverpool when they got rid of Mane. Uh, actually, when we were, we were walking around in Dusseldorf one day, we ran into a couple guys from uh, from the Liverpool area, and right away they were all on board for bringing Pulisic in. Uh, so it was cool to hear even local fans already wanted him in there. And I think Pulisic absolutely is a player that thrives on confidence. Uh, we've seen, you know, it was like late in his career with Dortmund, confidence was a little bit down and he just wasn't quite the same player that we saw there. Uh, so going to a place like Juventus would be super exciting. Uh, I think, you know, great coach, good system. I think he could team up with Weston and uh, like a lot of, what was it, Dialba or D- yeah, Dialba is there. Dybala. So plenty, Dybala, yeah. Dybala so, is leaving this is season. He? Yeah. Yeah. He would be a Dybala replacement. So you can see it as that means minutes are open. However you want. I'm always going to look at it half full. So, you know what? Uh, I think it's the only concern I have a little bit for him is we uh, he's older than Pepe, but we talked about this a little bit previously. This would be his third country in Europe, third league he's playing in. Is that something we want to see during a World Cup year? For me, maybe not so much. Um, but, you know, that's that's being nitpicky a little bit. I think it would be fine. Uh, Jake, you actually posted something, uh, I think, a week or two ago uh, about kind of the, the strengths and weaknesses that we've seen out of Pulisic's game when he was with Dortmund. Uh, and when we let him just stay outside and cook, that's the Pulisic I want to see. Confidence high, running at players, taking him on the dribble. And that's, that's where we're going to see him flourish. And we're not going to see that in the Chelsea system. So what we want to see him doing with the national team, if we're not seeing him do that at Chelsea, then for me, it's time to, it's time to move on. The does height Pulisic, of Pulisic. Go ahead, Tom. Does Pulisic fit well with the Allegri system? Allegri does like to play a 4-4-2. Um, do you see him as the right wing? Do you see him displacing Weston McKennie as the left midfielder? Like, where does he fit if he's going to Juventus? I think that's the trouble with a lot of modern systems is that coaches aren't necessarily looking for players. They're looking for fits into their system. I mean, we... We're not going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo potentially being on the chopping block or the trading block for Manchester United, but 
that is the case with the modern game where like all the best coaches are system coaches. They're not player coaches. So to fit into Allegri's 4-4-2, Christian Pulisic would potentially have to fit into the system of Juventus. Now I'm wholly confident that Christian Pulisic could do that. He has changed up to fit into the 5-3-2 at uh, Chelsea or 5-2-3, whatever you want to call it. Um, he's played multiple different positions, but in a 4-4-2, I mean, that is essentially like the basic formation of soccer that mimics the shape of the field. That's every kind of generalist uh, coach that is going to use that formation. Uh, obviously, Allegri is not a generalist coach and he, he has a system as well. That's all to say that Christian Pulisic, I have no doubts, could slot into the left mid or right mid positions. And maybe if we're looking at optimistic and positive views that playing at right wing back for Chelsea has taught him defensive positioning and one-on-one and -on -one tackling, that you need to have a little bit more awareness if you're playing in the midfield versus as an inside forward or winger. Okay. Did he ever play um, uh, second striker for the U.S.? I mean... It's he hard did to run say. a 4-4-2 like, when he was called up for the first time. Yeah, he because we had Dempsey and Pulisic and Donovan that were all trying to like play the, the shadow striker a little bit um, and then switching Dempsey and Donovan onto the wings. So it's been a while. I would say the peak and pinnacle of Pulisic fandom was playing in a, a front three with Usman Dembele and Pierre Emmerich Aubameyang at, at Dortmund. That was like the best we've ever seen Pulisic. And it's no no doubt why, because the other two players with him are world-class as well. Um, so it, it's not probably his preferred system or formation, but he's he's been more than amenable to change and moldable into different systems and tactics before. Fair. All right. This is a U.S. soccer podcast. Let's talk about the U.S. women's national team. Uh, we've had quite a a few weeks for U.S. soccer. I mean, the U-20s have qualified for next year's World Cup, the 2024 Olympics. Then the U.S. women's national team comes into the CONCACAF Women's Championship. They beat Haiti 3-0. They beat Jamaica 5-0. They qualify for next year's World Cup already. They'll take on Mexico on Monday night. Uh, guys, what are you seeing from this women's national team? I know, Tom, you've watched uh, some of the games along with our fans in the Discord. So what's what's been kind of the prevailing moments and points for the women's national team? Yeah, I, I've been watching along with some of the Discord people. It's been really awesome to sort of get to chat with everyone and sort of talk women's national team soccer. It's been a really cool development in our community. Uh, the two things I've really seen right now are, one – the play out of the back has not been great. I think going front to back, we're strongest in the front of the field where we have our strikers and forwards. I think we're weakest on our back line right now. And there are huge questions about who the center back pairing should be, who should be playing right back and going into the must win games. I also think that there's still some questions to be answered about the midfield. Who plays the six? Who are you playing at your eights? Right now, that could be a little bit of flux as well. Do we see a system where both Loris Lavelle and Ashley Sanchez are on the field together? Can Lavelle do the defensive work needed where you can make that system work? Or do we need to put an Andy Sullivan at the six and maybe move Lindsey Horan up to an eight? Is Horan the preferred six? Is Sullivan the preferred six? These are sort of the things that I think we're still working through and sort of trying to plug pieces in and see who fits. 
Becky Sauerbrunn's a legend. It seems like it's hard to take her off the field, but Gurma has been playing amazing. Kelly O'Hara, also a legend, but once again, Sofia Huerta has had a great tournament so far and has been really pushing for that right-back starting spot. So there are still some questions that need to be answered, and I think it's really just up to the positional play of these players to see how they go going forward. Yeah, and you mentioned some of those older players that are legends of the game. It really seems like there's a changing of the guard happening with the U.S. national team right now. Um, Ryan, I know you're you're kind of like trying to catch up within uh, highlights and everything, but what have you seen from some of the newer players or or maybe even like what are you thinking in terms of the changing of the guard for the women's national team? I totally agree with both of you. Tom's synopsis was was pretty spot on. Uh, From what I've been able to see, it's definitely – it has a lot of questions – um, but it's cool to see. It's it's very similar to what we saw with the men's national team. It is this transition to youth a little bit. The women didn't need it as bad as the men's did, but still cool to see. And now you're seeing a, a, a much better blend of veterans and youth players. Uh, you know, when you see the so- Sophie Smith, the Ashley Sanchez, the Trinity Rodman's coming in, like, those, those are girls that have been knocking on the door for a long time. They, they've been, you know, kind of that UCLA contingency of, you know, Mallory Pugh coming out of that system as well. That These are girls that were ready to step up, but they just had so much talent in front of them. If anything, I would say some of the young men that are playing in like middle school and high school right now should look to how these women are transitioning into the game because they're going to be in a similar position in about six to eight years because uh, we're going to have a lot of people that are veterans in that system. And we've got, you know, the Paxton Aronsons that are coming up. That's exactly what Sophia Smith, Ashley Sanchez and Trinity Rodman are doing. So it is a super exciting time to jump on and see what the women are doing. Um, you know, we had two good results. I'm not going to, you know, go about it. It was the 51st and 60th ranked team in the, going against the number one team in the world. But still super exciting to see that transition and shaking up minutes, giving players opportunities, because questions are, are going to be asked. And we need to find out who are... The, the next girls that can step up and fill those shoes and continue to carry the torch for the women's national team. Uh, I thought it was really interesting to see in the Haiti game too, even Casey Murphy getting a chance. Uh, the the post saved her a couple times, but also too, when called upon, she made a couple huge saves. So goalkeeping has always been an area, uh, you know, since the, the Hope Solo days, that it's been a little bit up for grabs for the women's national team. We We've been super confident in other players. So great to see another young goalkeeper coming up. And if you guys haven't had a chance to see her play, she she impressed. So I think we we have a lot to look forward to with the women's national team. Uh, the game against Haiti, Alex Morgan is going to Alex Morgan. Like she had a sweet flick on the first goal, absolutely beautiful. Uh, and then also the header in. So she's still kind of put herself in as that number nine. But it's, it's the backup nine position that we still have some questions about. Um, so yeah, I think overall it's, it's a fun time is exactly the same way people are jumping on the men's national team train right now. I I highly recommend you jump on the women's national team because there's, there's young, exciting players to get excited about. Yeah. And if you feel like the women's national team can't be a motivator or someone, uh, a team that makes people fall in love with the game, I will tell you that while a lot of fans will talk about 2010 or 2014 as kind of the first time they fell in love with the men's game, uh, the 1999 World Cup, uh, the the penalty kicks against China, that was kind of the first time that I really fell in love with the game. 
was that Women's World Cup. So uh, I definitely recommend checking out the highlights because like you said, Ryan, that first flick on by Alex Morgan in the Haiti game was amazing. Uh, Sophia Smith's first goal against Jamaica was insane. She kind of arced it over the defender and then did a Travella within the box that went into the far far post. I mean, just some pretty incredible goals and some skills that you you might not see even in the men's game. It's also a point that we are the number one ranked team, but the women's Euros are happening right now. So it seems like kind of our, our biggest opponents in next year's World Cup are kind of getting a run out into this big tournament. Uh, do you guys feel like the, the women's championship for CONCACAF is maybe not doing enough pre- to prepare the women for the World Cup next year? I'm kind of starting to get into that camp. Um, Christine Sinclair has... I don't think she's on the roster for Canada. She's the legend that led Canada to the gold medal at the last Olympics. Uh, without her, I don't really see a player who can replicate her goal-scoring ability on the Canada roster, which really weakens them. Mexico has had a disaster of a tournament. They are virtually out, if not completely eliminated from the World Cup picture at this point. They've lost both games. They have not scored a goal yet on home soil. Those were the two big teams that were spe- expected to compete against the U.S., and one of those teams is already out. The second one still has major questions to answer. That's not preparing us as well as a tournament full of extremely incredible players that you're going to get at the women's Euros. So hopefully we see the U.S. schedule some good friendlies, especially against European competition in the next year, because otherwise we might come in underprepared to this tournament. I'm kind of excited just to see how much the world has caught up with the U.S. women's national team next year, because you can see even in the Euros, but uh, being in London, the amount of investment, the amount of marketing that takes place for these women's clubs teams for the Champions League. I mean, Barcelona women uh, put two record sellouts uh, in Camp Nou last year in their Champions League matches, one against Wolfsburg, the other against Real Madrid. So you can see the investment, you can see the amount that is going into the women's game here. And I I really feel like this will be the first World Cup where everyone is kind of on equal playing field to the, the U.S. women's national team. And although we're ranked number one right now, we aren't necessarily getting the best view into what our opponents will be like playing against opponents, no disrespect to Jamaica and Haiti, but they are not the same as Sweden, Germany, Spain, and England that are playing against each other in the women's heroes this season. And Tom, I just want to quickly point out as well, you mentioned the Mexico women's national team has not scored a goal. They've lost both their games. They are playing on home soil. The CONCACAF women's uh, championship is being played in Mexico. How, how bad has these last few weeks been for the Mexican Federation? It's been a disaster. They're not going to the U-20 World Cup next year. They are not going to the 2024 Olympics on both the men's or women's side. They're not going to the 2023 Women's World Cup. They've lost an embarrassing game to Guatemala in the U-20s. They've lost games to Haiti and Jamaica now on the women's side, who are both strong CONCACAF sides. I, don't get me wrong. U.S. definitely had a really tough group for this World Cup for this women's CONCACAF championship draw, but still you would expect Mexico, a league that is really trying to grow is feminine Liga MX, And it's just not translated to success this time around for the Mexican national team. And for the Federation at large, this is definitely something that should be bringing alarm bells in the Federation. And Ryan, is it tough to see our biggest rivals struggle or do you just 
just love it so much. <laughs> Are you just rel all, relishing all the time? It, <laughs> all I'll say is uh, bienvenidos to all fans that want to come <laughs> jump on the the U.S. hype train. Uh, everybody is welcome. There's always room. Uh, so, you know, especially to, to all the dual Nats that now know, especially the young ones that no longer have any sort of tournament, tournaments coming up to play in. Um, yeah, that, that part doesn't bum me out. It doesn't make me sad. But on the other, you know, to, to play devil's advocate a little bit too, though, you know, a, a strong Mexico in, on the youth, the women's and the men's side makes a stronger CONCACAF. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it is a little disheartening to see them take such a fall from grace. Uh, but, you know, it's it's something that we went through just a couple of years ago. And I know that, you know, I, I certainly didn't enjoy talking soccer and, you know, hearing all of it at that time. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to kick someone while they're down. Uh, but I will say that I hope to see them back on the rise. And uh, but again, to any dual national and uh, any other Mexican, you know, will we see any sort of Mexican player holding up a scarf that says my other team is USA in a Wells Fargo commercial? If, if we see that, then sure. Yeah, I'm on board. Maybe a Bimbo commercial. Who knows? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. That is our episode for today. Tom, Master of Science, what's your last word? Uh, last word is enjoy the summer of soccer. I It's still going on we've still got more women's cap to play we've still got the women's euros going on it's an exciting run up to the world cup with the mls going on european season starting back up great time to be getting on board and just excitement's building for november ryan how about you yeah you could definitely tell that all the the friendlies are going on because for the first time this weekend my fatmon notifications <laughs> on my phone was going off continuously so you know it's we've had about a good weeks off or so with uh, being able to take a little time away from the game uh, but it's right around the corner I mean Bundesliga kicks off in like five weeks so it'll it'll be here before we know it uh, so yeah enjoy, enjoy the time get some travel in if you get a chance uh, you know go go back get back to normal life go enjoy it nice and uh, yeah guys thanks so much for watching make sure to let us know what you think about our transfer talks uh, down below in the comments support on patreon if you want to support some independent coverage of u.s soccer and we do have it's called soccer merch now available the link is down below in the description as well thanks everyone so much for watching and we'll see you next time on it's called soccer peace see, see you guys, guys.